Welcome back to the show, folks. And have you ever thought about self-storage as an investment class? Well, if you have, then today's guest is going to shed a lot of light on this because our guest today is Norbert Langell, who is zooming in all the way from the thriving metropolis of Fenland Falls, Ontario. Joking, it's a lovely cottage country kind of place, so I'm, I'm hoping it's not thriving. But anyhow, Norbert has had a very interesting real estate journey going from lots of different ways of investing in single family homes and fix and flips and burrs and duplex conversions and now getting into bigger stuff. And now he's looking at getting into self-storage development. So Norbert, nice to meet you. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to share my journey, where I came from and where I'm going in this crazy world of investing. Well, that's what it's all about. It's about sharing the journey and even more importantly, sharing what some of the biggest learning lessons have been so that we can help other people, you know, avoid some of the screw-ups we've done. Maybe you're an exception, Norbert, but I don't know. I've made a, my fair share of screw-ups. I find that uh, sharing those helps other people avoid those as well as the, the big lessons learned along the way. So let's get started with first things first. What got you into real estate investing in the first place, Norbert? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think just like anyone else, um, time freedom, financial freedom, looking for a passive income. Well, so we thought real estate was a passive income at first, right? Yeah. Um, so I actually ended up, I was living with my in-laws and I worked seven days a week to get out of their house. I lived in their basement with my, um, with my now wife, Summer, and uh, I had to get out of that basement. So we, <laughs> what, what what were you working at at the time, Norbert? Yeah, because I'm remembering my in-laws and I'm thinking that would have been a hellish situation. Well, it got worse when Summer brought to them, brought to their attention that she was pregnant. So <laughs> um, living in their basement, wife is pregnant. You could appreciate this stressful situation that I had yes, to go through in announcing that to my father-in-law. <laughs> Um, but I was working seven days a week. I had a small drywall company at the time. And, you know, my parents and I, we, we didn't see eye to eye. My parents were refugees from Europe and they thought, you know, university, finish high school. I was the complete opposite. I was, you know, get in the grind seven days a week, work with my hands. I wasn't very book smart. Um, so, you know, seven days a week hustling, I was putting every penny I could possibly into at that time was a 4% account with ING direct. Wow. So if you remember during that time, interest rates were about very similar to the environment we're in right now. Um, so what, what year would that have been, Norbert? I'm not I'm not sure what time you're talking oh, about. That was about 2009, 2008-ish yeah. sometime. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was putting it into a high interest account and I had saved up a down payment for my very first home. But I bought it with the intention to convert the basement into a legal suite. Got it. Yeah. Right. And at that time, I remember picking up sheets of drywall for the basement for like three, four dollars a sheet. It was but just 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 to give people perspective. What does it cost now? Eighteen, nineteen dollars wow. a sheet. Yeah. Uh, eight by four sheet. Yeah. Even boxes of mud, the compound that you use to feather out the drywall back then was, you know, a couple bucks for even I'd say even about five, six years ago, I was buying it for about eight dollars. Now you're thirty dollars. Yeah. Fifteen years makes a big difference. All right. So you got into that first house with a pregnant wife. Yep. Did you fix up the basement, turn that into a house hack for yourself? Yeah. So again, seven days a week I was working. We had our first son, Noah, in that house. 
And at night, I would come home and hustle on the basement, right? So my wife, she doubled down on being a stay-at-home mom, taking care of of, of our son. And at night, I would be finishing the basement. And um, and then, so anyway, so about six months down the road, we had finished our first duplex, legal duplex. We had rented it out. And like any smart investor, I leveraged the equity, the sweat equity I put into that property. I went to a private investor who loaned against the equity on that house. We bought our second duplex. Very nice. So how did you learn about real estate investing? Because it's a big leap to go from being a drywaller to being a, being a real estate investor, learning about understanding private lenders, all that kind of stuff. How did the education part come to play? I'm the kind of guy that likes to jump out of the airplane and yeah. put the parachute together on the way down. Uh-huh. Well, you know, honestly, though, I did go to, um, I joined some webinars. I went to a few conferences. To be honest, like every other investor out there, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yeah. Very simple philosophy, very simple principles. Just like Tim Grover said, uh, the reason why Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant were so successful, they focused on the fundamentals and the basics, just like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, right? Mm-hmm. So that's all I did. I, you know, I played it stupid smart and, you know, dotted my I's, crossed my T's, and I kept doing the same thing over and over again. We leveraged our second duplex. Then we purchased um, another product, new build for about 390000 Did the same thing. Worked seven days a week in my drywall company, but at this time, I was starting to incorporate employees to build a self-led drywall company, an actual Mm. asset. Nice. Um, Because the intention and the goal was to, yes, invest in real estate, but I knew there was other passive investments out there that I could create at the same time. We want to have a bit of a diversified portfolio, right? So being an entrepreneur and already having that foundation, I started building businesses. I also started building my real estate portfolio at the same time. So very very cool. So you yeah you had you were your own drywaller for a number of years. You're busting your butt doing the seven days a week thing. Then you kind of clued into other people's efforts, hiring employees to get a little bit more time for yourself. At what point? And then you kind of really dialed that in. Were there any big light bulb moments or books or or anything like that that really kind of clued you into that? I'm thinking back in the day when I was doing that kind of stuff with with my own businesses, I was thinking about, I was reading The E-Myth by Michael Gerber, you know, these kind of things like that. What was it that really sparked you? Yeah, I love The E-Myth. I actually, um, I gift that to all of my clients. So right now I'm a coach consultant um, for actors and construction companies looking to become builders. Nice. Um, so I actually gift The E-Myth builder to all my clients. But if I really want to focus on the fundamentals and the basics, it was the one thing by Gary Keller that I read. Uh, yeah. Focusing on one thing. So the way I treated my started treating my real estate portfolio was the same way I was treating my businesses. So at that time, we were on property number three, which was ready to be converted to a duplex again. Um, we had uh, about 30 employees in our drywall company at that time, mixed with subcontractors and employees. And I started treating my real estate portfolio the exact same way, like a business. Okay. So what did you do differently? Well, everybody talks about leveraging capital, right? But what about leveraging people's time, right? Mm -hmm. You can arbitrage people's time, who not how principle, right? Dan Sullivan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, you know, I really honed in on the who not how principle, uh, identified unique, everyone's unique ability, put them in the right seat, right bus, right seat, um, just like Jim Collins phrases it. 
And it's ultimately, we started building out a team for real estate investment, uh, acquisitions and renovations and repairs. Although I did like to get in there, get my hands dirty, I think it's super fundamental to show my kids that, hey, like it takes grit and hard work um, in order to build these kind of uh, this kind of wealth and success in life. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, ultimately, like I said, just built out my uh, real estate business exactly how I've been building out my businesses. So who, and, who was who was your first hire? Just out of curiosity. Oh boy! Like, when you were first building the team, what did you decide the number one who was that you needed to replace uh, yourself with? This is funny because my wife's going to watch this, but she was my first who. Of, so, yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. But so, what did she take over? She took over all the executive components. Yeah. Absolutely. And she went and got her real estate license. Mm. Absolutely. It was, you know, we were, our goal when we were about 22, when we moved out, our goal was one real estate transaction a year. So we're 36. We just have, we've actually doubled down on that. We've done over 20 million in real estate transactions. Um, and we're sitting at about, we've uh, offloaded a substantial amount of our portfolio prior to this um, contraction in the market. And uh, so we're down to about 10 million. But um, it only made sense for her to offload the properties for us. And it became a passion of hers, right? Real estate. Then we had our other son, Joshua. And she said, you know, I, I, I love being a stay-at-home mom, right? My, my number one core value is family and adventure and taking care of my family and my kids. So she's, a, she's now a stay-at-home mom and she's the CEO of my visions is what she likes to say. Nice. All right. So you're started building out your, your real estate power team, a lot of stuff in-house kind of that sort of situation. So you went from doing the duplex conversions or, or I guess that's what we, you would call them. What did you kind of build up to Norbert? What were you guys focusing on to get to yeah, that 20 million? Yeah. So we actually flipped the switch once we had, um, we had a few duplexes and the markets were, were pivoting. And so we had to shift with the markets at that time. So, what, so we, what, what time and what kind of pivot was happening? Oh boy, skill testing questions. It was about, I would say 2017, 18, when we had a bit of a shift in the market. And we went straight into Airbnbs because we weren't able to cash flow duplexes anymore at that time in okay. Barrie, Ontario, anywhere, anyways, which is where a substantial portion of my portfolio is right so now. We're getting kind of priced out of the market for duplexes yeah. for them to make sense cash flow wise. But right. the existing ones that you had were probably doing very well. Very well. Yeah. Very okay. Well. But, but to do more of them, you yeah. needed to get into something different. So what did you get into? Short-term so we rentals. Got out the box. We got into short-term rentals. Uh -huh. Yes. And it was actually a passion of ours that we stumbled upon. Um, adventure is one of our core values, our family's core values. And we lead with our core values. Every decision we make, um, you know, we ask ourselves, how does this serve our core values? So um, we would explore all over Ontario, all over Canada, South America. And we love Collingwood, Ontario. We love Fenland Falls. We love Montreal. And we love Costa Rica. So we started exploring real estate and a viable option. And because Collingwood, Ontario was so close to our home, about 40 minutes, yeah. and it was a year round, 365 degree um, entertainment. You had cycling, swimming, you got everything. You've even got the uh, Spartan races there, skiing. Yeah. So we ended up buying four units up there. So what, what kind of units were you buying? Cabins or were these condos, townhouses? What kind of properties? So these were short, actually, let's go back. They were actually um, zoned hotels. 
so back in the 80s, these were developed and zoned as hotels, but they were short-term legal. These were one of the only, um, I guess, one of the only buildings in Collingwood because there's a lot of regulations and restrictions in Collingwood, Ontario that mm. uh, are against short-term accommodations. This was yeah. one of the only blocks of buildings that would allow it because it was grandfathered in. So was it like an old timeshare property or or what kind of a, I wonder, just that that's I can't interesting. Answer. Yeah, 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 that I can't answer. I know it was zoned hotel because during the when we were bringing in investors and and lenders on these properties, it was very difficult. Yeah, yeah. interesting. And so some of the units that we had purchased were actually under eight hundred square feet. CIBC wouldn't lend on those properties, small, so yeah. we actually had to package some of them. So they were like it was one big property that was kind of like a hotel, and you were buying yeah. these little like mini suite type one bedroom type things with kitchenettes or, or what? Exactly. They, yeah. They literally like hotel units. There were some that were lofts. Yeah. So we had, yeah. we own two of the loft size ones, um, which were about a thousand square feet. And then we own two. Um, well, yeah, one bedrooms. So two of them were one bedrooms and they were cash flowing. I think we were grossing about 60,000 a year on one of them. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It was unbelievable. And the cost to operate, was about 38,000 roughly pretty good cash flow yeah that's Absolutely. that's amazing yeah and then a couple of years later they doubled in value like we got in right at the right time i think investing like anything else is there's a little component of luck yeah we didn't time this right um we got in we got out 2 years later and we started offloading them and we kept one in our portfolio okay so then what did you pivot towards after you got out of short term rentals so that sounds like that was like the beginning of COVID is probably when you got out of it or right. right before or something like that. So then what did you guys decide to do after that? Yeah, very good. I'm actually going to rewind a little bit because it, it, it um, I want to go back to business investing a little bit. And back about six years ago, so which would have been 2017, we purchased a franchise, Allaire Homes, and we were building up that franchise. Um, so sorry, what, why- what is it? Allaire Homes is a custom home building franchise and renovation franchise. Um, And the whole um, model behind it is that we're changing lives and building custom homes at the same time, right? Living better starts here for our clients. Um, And it's through a proprietary software system. We have a cost plus uh, method that helps clients transparently watch the budget, scheduling, and their project. Essentially, they're in control of their budget. Um, More importantly, where this plays into my next step in real estate investing was, we started land development. So we started arbitraging this custom home company by purchasing land and subdividing and starting to infill. So oh. we've been, this has been like our, I guess you could say our, the maturity of our real estate journey. That's yes. that's where we're at now. We're actually I'm about halfway through that journey um, as we start transitioning into the commercial world of, of self-storage. So, so you're you're building out custom homes. Are you keeping? Are you doing any build to rent type things, or that might not win, work into your model though? Um, no, we are. are we are doing things? some build to rent. We are doing build for sale as well. And most, more importantly, because we want a, a high reward, low risk model, mm-hmm. and we're selling or sorry, um, we're building for clients a lot more than we're building for spec. So a high portion of that is built for clients. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And the build for rent, those are those are you guys keeping in your own portfolio or are you selling those off? To yeah, so we do have investors. 
we have about three investors that we partner with. I typically like to buy the land out, right? So yeah. I'll buy the land out, I'll subdivide, I'll do all the legwork. Then we'll bring in investors on the build component. Very cool. And then you 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 co-own the property and you hold it long-term. I could refi and cash out, pay out the investors, pay them their 10%. Um, and then, yeah, and then refi cash out and I own it outright. Okay. Very, very cool. So now you guys are moving towards more commercial type properties, specifically with self-storage. Is that correct? Yeah, this is good. Um, so, you know, there's a saying out there and it's what got us here won't get us there. Right. And I'm, and I've been, um, I'm guilty for saying that. Um, but I really strongly feel what got us here will get us there just in a different capacity. A lot of people ask me, should I dump my real estate? What should I do um, when I'm having these conversations? And and no, because what got us here is going to get us there. How did I get my second duplex? How did I buy the development land? How do I buy infill land? How did I buy a franchise? And how am I going to buy self-storage real estate? Mm-hmm. We're just going to buy more real estate. The difference is our threshold has grown, right? So we all have a thermostat and a risk threshold. And, um, you know, over time it expands, right? You have... Uh, you take action, you gain momentum, you gain confidence. You have ups, downs. Yeah, it's, there's a roller coaster. You're taking risks. There's a lot of failures and um, there's definitely a lot of hurdles to overcome, but that's where you build grit, right? Mm-hmm. And as long as you keep going, it's um, the way I like to position it. It's like dollar cost averaging in the stock market. You're doing the same thing in real estate. You buy in the ups, you buy in the lows. You just, you just as long as you keep pushing through, you're going to end up end up on top of the end. Perfect. So what what is the plan for the self-storage side of things, Norbert? What are you are you guys building? You buying both? What where are you focusing? What's that looking like? Yeah. Have so you got any? Have you got any in the go already? Yeah. So we've got a few that are in LOI and our partners have quite a few substantial amount in development right now. So these projects are about $20 million projects, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not like building a duplex where I could do it myself with maybe one investor. We're bringing on about 30 LP investors into these projects, and we have about four or five GP partners, right? And we're bringing on a full team who's been developing these. They have a combined, I mean, experience of about 100 years, these guys, right? They've been in the self-storage industry since the 80s, since self-storage was even a thing, right? So. Um, you know, and I strongly feel that, you know, it's not, it's not about the money. It's who are we helping along the way, right? Yeah. Um, now we have these huge projections of doing $200 million in the next 10 years. However, it's all about who are we helping along the way. And so that's why we've been, we've been working with a lot of LP partners and GP partners, like I, I had mentioned, but we are looking for, um, we have a CFA, a certified field agent that looks for uh, mom and pops that are, you know, they've had them for 15 years and there's a value add component to it. We're also very strongly looking for raw land as well right now. Um, so just to give you a holistic overview of a project that we have on the books right now. So, you know, a land, a piece of land purchase right now in Florida is about 1.5 million. We develop for about 10 million and at about six cap, they're appraising them at about $25 million. So there's a lot of equity and forced appreciation at the back end of these self-storage facilities. Yeah, um, so that's very exciting. For limited partners and the general partners. Perfect, Norbert. So what would you say have been like a couple of your, well, you've, you've mentioned a couple of your big takeaways, but what's if you had to boil it all down for your kids that are now yeah. getting towards that age, what would you say is is 
are one or two of your biggest lessons through your real estate investing journey? So there's two. Um, success like speed, right? Being decisive is so important. That's taking care of your body, taking care of your health and your mind. You can be that much more decisive when you have that confidence to back you up. Um, so yeah, success like speed. And ultimately, I strongly feel like you need slow money, medium money, and fast money. What fast money. So fast money is when you're trading your time for purpose, right? Not time for money. So for example, I do consulting and coaching, which is me trading my time for purpose, but I get paid on the, on the spot. Then you have long-term money, which is investing in self-storage facilities. Then medium-term money could be dividends being paid from... Um, we have a TFSA account here that's set up with a friend of mine who's um, running a real estate investment portfolio and they're paying us 15% dividends. Mm -hmm. So slow money, fast money, and medium money. Especially sure. in an economic climate like today, you need all three factors right now. If people would like to connect with you, Norbert, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, Instagram is great. We have a website that's in the making right now. Um, so yeah, Norbert Lendell Coaching on Instagram. And I it's me. I run the I run the uh the Instagram site. So I'll always connect with you. Fantastic. Well, congratulations on the success to date and the big plans for the future. I think you're gonna you guys are gonna do great things. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate you having me here. And I hope I added some value to someone's life. All right, everybody. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks.